Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to Episode 8 of the Power Company Climbing Podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. You can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Instagram, you can find us on Pinterest, and you should look for us there. Uh, If you're on Facebook, check out our Facebook community group. It's a new thing we just started. You can come and uh, talk about training, talk about what you've been doing, get some advice. or just spray a little. We don't mind spray. We're okay with that. So come and check us out. Uh, a couple of... Uh, well, you know what? Before I do anything, let me first say thank you to you guys. Because I'm sitting here right now in Lander, Wyoming. And uh, I'm sitting on the back patio outside. It's beautiful here. And I'm here because you guys believed in what we're doing. And uh, I was able to quit my job. Um, my career of the last 18 years left my home in Cincinnati, and now I'm here in Lander, Wyoming, uh, indefinitely. So, uh, yeah, thanks. Big thanks to you guys. Uh, A couple of points of business here before we go anywhere else. Nate and I will be leaving for our Boulder Better workshop tour very, very soon. We're going to be hitting a few cities back across the country from Salt Lake City uh, over to North Carolina. So first, let me tell you a little bit about the workshop. Um, It's actually, I think it's pretty unique. It's a two-day workshop. Uh, Day one uh, during this whole tour is going to be free for the gym members. Um, And it's just a, it's a session with the power company. So we're going to come in, we're going to boulder with you guys. Uh, We'll be in the gym for a few hours and uh, just offer advice where where it's wanted. And if you have questions, you can feel totally free to come and ask us if you need advice uh, on your projects, if you need relationship advice, I'm happy to give it. Um, it may not be good advice, but I can give you advice. So talk to us if you need anything while you're in the gym, while we're in the gym, while we're bouldering with you. Yeah, we just want to meet everybody. We just want to come out and have a good time. So that's that's day one of the workshop. Uh, day two is a little more a little more in depth. It's uh, it's limited to fifteen people, so you're gonna want to get in on it pretty quickly if you want to participate. And it's gonna be about thirty minutes of classroom time, uh, then about an hour hour and a half of climbing, and then a question and answer session. And basically, we're just kind of delving into. Uh, the art of practicing bouldering and being a little more mindful of what you're doing uh, and being able to uh, sort of take apart uh, your your climbing and figure out where you need to be putting your energy uh, and how to do that. So, so yeah, um, I think it's something that, that everybody can get something out of at, at any level. It doesn't matter if you're you know a V2 boulder or a V10 boulder. We can help you out. So, uh, yeah, come and check us out. We will be in possibly in Salt Lake the week of August 1st. I'm trying to set something up there. That will just be me. Nate will be meeting me at the next stop in Colorado. So I'll let you know more about that Salt Lake date 
Uh, we'll be definitely be at Earthtrek's Golden on August 9th, 10th, maybe the 11th. We will be at So Ill in St. Louis, uh, August 15th and 16th. Uh, Boulder's Gym in Madison, Wisconsin, August 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. And uh, we've got a date in North Carolina that's a little bit different. Those workshops are totally filled up. But if you're in town and you want to talk to us, let me know. And then we'll be back in Rockwest in Cincinnati for August 30th and 31st. And uh, any of those dates, if you happen to be in town, if you want to get with us for a private session or an assessment, uh, let me know and we can hook up with you. So, uh, yeah, we've also got some uh, exciting things coming with our with our ebooks. Um, the popular ones, Boulder Strong, Boulder Better, and Climb 512, uh, all versions of that are going to be, uh, they're going to get some updates, they'll get some refreshers, and they'll be plans that you can buy on the app. And you'll have a coach who's watching over you. If you're not doing the workouts, he's going to get on you. Some of you need that. And we'll be give, you'll be able to get feedback, ask questions, things like that. So uh, it's a little more... Uh, a little more in depth than the ebook is, so that'll be coming soon, and you'll hear more about that on our next episode, which uh, which will be coming pretty quickly after this one. I just had a really great talk with John Cardwell here in Lander, and I can't wait to get that out to you guys. But uh, first things first, uh, this episode, episode eight, deadlifting with Steve Bechtel and Charlie Manganello. Uh, you guys all know Steve. Charlie is a trainer at Steve's gym, and I really, really respect what both of these guys do and the approach they take to strength training and to training for climbing. I'm actually going to set some sessions up with Charlie before I leave on the workshop tour. So, Charlie and Steve just recently released their Climb Strong deadlifting manual. Um, they gave me a copy before this interview, and and it's really great. Even though I've done a fair amount of deadlifting, I've still got a ton to learn. And uh, they they definitely put it in a really simple, easy to read, easy to take in format. Uh, and it helped me, you know, just refresh what I was doing. Uh, I needed to hear some of the cues that they've got in there, and I needed to, just needed to brush up. So. Uh, if you're deadlifting, if you're considering deadlifting, I would definitely recommend checking out the ClimbStrong deadlifting manual. You can find it at ClimbStrong.com. You can also find it on Amazon. And of course, Uncle Google can find it for you pretty easily. So uh, let's get on with this thing, deadlifting with Steve Bechtel and Charlie Manganello. Yeah, strength training throughout the, your whole life, it's your, the quality of life, and hopefully your climbing will be, will be better. So we're pretty much live. Chris, thanks for coming. Welcome to the podcast. I guess my first question. <laughs> you, are, you are the official co-host now. You know that, right? <laughs> I was I'm, like the, I'm like the guy that sits in the corner behind the keyboard and says, hey oh. I'm like Ed McMahon. Yeah. Oh, people, yeah. It does like all the sound bites. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah, people toilet. want the Steve Bechtel podcast. The, <laughs> the toilet flush and like the fart noises. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So... 
since we got two of you here, why don't you both just tell me who you are and just give me your names. That's all I really want. I don't care what you do, frankly. My name's Charlie Manganello. I'm Steve Bechtel. And we're both strength coaches since he's more than just Charlie Manganello. <laughs> and you both work here. Steve, you own Elemental, correct? Yeah. And Ellen, my wife and I own Elemental and... Um, We've had the gym for about 15 years. Um, Charlie's been with us for about five or six years now. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, Lander, Wyoming. Cool. Yeah. And if anybody, if any of you guys listening are ever in Lander, I urge you to come in and, you know, even if you're just here for a short time, get a workout in Steve's gym because I just really appreciate the simplicity here and just how easy it is to be comfortable working out. It doesn't feel like, you know, the big, crazy commercial gyms that that I went to when I was a high school kid so definitely try to come in and get a workout if you're in Lander we and, um, and book a session with these guys yeah or at least come eat donuts with us the <laughs> it was funny I, we had somebody come in and see our climbing space which is very the, the bouldering room is very small and she um she asked me like well do you think you're going to expand make it bigger and I I had actually that morning been thinking about reducing the size of it, um, right. you know, trying to focus, focus more on, on the training aspects. And so, so it is funny. It's a little different design than a typical climbing gym. I, I think what's cool about it is it's kind of feels like a, almost a home Woody where, uh, I personally get less distracted in my, in my sessions are way more focused because I'm kind of like the ADD. Oh, look, shiny new route or. Oh yeah, I think um, we're all that way. Yeah. You know, yeah. I have I have a little room in Cincinnati where I just moved from, and uh, called the engine room. And I generally just disappear from the main gym up into this little tiny attic space that's just dark and dusty, and train up there because I get distracted in the main gym and end up just working myself on moderate problems. You know. <clears throat> well, you know that's an interesting thing, Chris, because. We would assume that with a larger, um, you know, more expansive gym, more variety, um, that that you would see the, you know, an up, you know, uptick in the ability or in the in the level of the overall climbers. But that's not always the case. And and some of the best climbers come out of somewhat moderate gyms. You know, like the the gym down in Albuquerque is just incredible for producing great climbers. Um, these these places that have like a a fixed set of holds on, on a right. bouldering board, yep. you know, small campus board. I mean, the, the people can really focus on training. And I think that, I think there's a big future in training specific gyms. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. Uh, let's get down to business. So you guys have got a, and actually I was pretty excited to see it. I just saw that it was coming a couple of weeks ago and, and I've been in a, you know, really kind of digging into exploring kettlebells. So I haven't deadlifted since the end of last summer. And uh, I'd been getting excited to get here to Lander, get into Elemental, and lift some heavy weights. It's just something I don't have available in my training space at home. Um, and then I saw that you guys have a deadlifting manual coming out. So um, first off, why deadlifting? Well... <clears throat> There's a couple of things. The, the manual came from um, a document that we created just teaching the hip hinges and the deadlift. Um, and we're, 
we, for the last few years, have taught a strength clinic at the International Climbers Festival. And um, the two years ago, it was incredible. It was, it was like the, the single best educational opportunity ever for rock climbers. But we tried to fit like 20 hours of material in two hours. Right. And it, it was just right. a cluster. And so, um, so then we stripped it down and we said, okay, we're only going to teach four exercises, basic strength principles. And it was still just a fight to get through it. And we yeah. said, okay. We're going to back off and we're going to strip this down to just one lift. Mm -hmm. We want people to come in and get, get it. And they want to be able to go into any gym in the country and know how to deadlift after this two hour clinic. And this was our spiral bound manual to go with it. It turns out that having this manual printed in the local, um, coffee or copy shop, uh, and spiral band was going to cost a lot of money. And, um, so we looked at uh, small run publishing, and so we yeah. learned that we could actually publish it for a lot cheaper and um, then offer it to other people if they're interested in it, then have it for the people to come to the clinic. And so it's sort of an, an adjunct to the clinic, but we decided to make it a standalone document. Good. I'm glad you did because, you know, I've deadlifted a fair amount, not a ton, and, uh, and I'm mostly self-taught other than some coaching in high school. And uh, just coming back... Uh, I think two days ago was my first day back to deadlifting and I, I hadn't seen your manual at that point. And, uh, and I was definitely rusty and, and just looking through the manual, even though I've got some experience doing it was really helpful in remembering the cues that I need to remember for myself when I'm doing it. And I'm still rusty as hell, but it's going to come back a lot faster because you guys have laid it out in a really, really simple way. And, and that's one of the things I appreciate about what you do kind of across the board is it's simple and straightforward. Yeah. So, um, well, I, it's important to remember, like when you come back to climbing after a long layoff, how, you know, uncoordinated and terrible you feel right. and everybody needs to address strength in that way that it's not just like, Oh, I'm back at it a hundred percent. It's like getting back on the guitar or getting back on the rock for us. Right. Back to the idea that strength is a skill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also another big reason, you know, Steve and I have kicked around the idea, um, over the last year or so, but, uh, strength training and climbing, uh, is definitely gaining popularity as we see with training beta yeah. and yep. folks are getting super psyched on it. And, uh, deadlifts kind of, not kind of, it is one of the best exercises we can do as climbers for general strength training. Uh, and a lot of folks are approaching it with little to no knowledge. And we were hoping right. to kind of lay it out and make it easy for people. And it's the manual is also for folks that are experts. Uh, I think anyone picking up that manual is going to pick up some cue, some tip, mm -hmm, um, even uh, how to incorporate into your climbing, um, whether you've been deadlifting for zero days or five years. Yeah, definitely. So let's let's just dig in a little bit. Um, I kind of want this episode to be uh, something of a, you know, just something that people can listen to in addition to your book and maybe learn a little more just through hearing you guys talk than what they're picking up from the book. Um, some people just learn better, you know, having audio than they do from reading. So let's just dig into the deadlift. First off, it's a hip hinge. So, Charlie, would you explain to me hip hinge versus squat? I think that's a big misconception that a lot of people make. Yeah, it's it's a hard one to conceptualize or to kind of 
get dialed. But yeah, so we're talking about four major movement patterns. We have hip hinge, so that's uh, hamstrings, glutes, lower back, so the posterior chain, or as I call, back abs. Uh, and then we have our knee dominant, so uh, quads, like squatting or step-ups, and then push-pull. And so the deadlift is a hip hinge, and it's when uh, we're drawing our hips back and hinging from the hips. Um, it, folks always say, oh, I'm bending my knees. It feels like I'm squatting. Uh, you do feel that way, and it depends on how long your arms are, how long your shins are. You might have to squat a little lower than other folks. But as long as your hips are above your knees and your shoulders above your hips, you are hip hinging uh, in the deadlift or kettlebell swing or a Romanian deadlift. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so let's see, where should we go next from just what the hip hinge is when talking about the deadlift? Well, a good place to go is why train the hip hinge. Yeah. Good point. Um, you know, climbers go like, Oh, I'm on, I'm climbing on steep rock. I need stronger abs. I need more abs. I right. need more abs. Yeah. I hear it all the time. Every yeah, time but, I see somebody's feet cut there, I need to do more abs. Yeah. yeah. And so the rectus abdominis is responsible for 10 degrees of trunk flexion. That's the only thing that it's the major movement pattern for it. So if you can imagine trunk flexion, that's doing a crunch, right? Right. Um, we, yeah, when your feet come off on, on a route, and you need to bring your legs back up like on an overhang um you do use your abdominals to help do that but to keep your legs from coming off right you need to train the posterior chain to be able to keep your hips in there a really great exercise for a climber to do is to get a bathroom scale set it in the hallway in front of their hangboard and then hang straight arm from the hangboard with their butt straight below their arms and their feet out in front so they're they've got a bend at their hip and then when they try to drive their weight onto that scale or straighten their hips out right. using a hip hinge, um, they can see the extreme change in the amount of pressure that's being put on that bathroom mm-hmm. scale. And so you know it. Like if you, if you go from having 40 pounds of pressure on the bathroom scale to having 100 pounds, that 100 pounds comes off the arms. Right. And if we can maintain that ability to keep our hips in both through mobility and improving the strength in the, in the posterior chain, that athlete all of a sudden just got better arm endurance. And so I think that, you know, all injury prevention aside, creating a a strong midsection, um, which is primarily the posterior chain, or like Charlie said, the back abs, um, (laughs) that's going to be, that's going to serve the climber really well. Yeah, I agree. And I, I try to point out to a lot of my folks because they they definitely tend to jump onto this. You know, I need more ab work. I need more ab work. And I try to back them off. Like, we, let's not do ab work. You know, let's calm down a little bit. And I explain to them that the only time you're you're using trunk flexion is when you're lifting your legs. And you're never doing that with anything more than the weight of your legs. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that doesn't mean you shouldn't train your abs, but right. you're, the, the thing that you're using extra strength for is to hold your hips into the wall, hold yourself into the wall. Yeah. And, and that's essentially a hip hinge. Yeah, and, and the, the core thing or the ab thing is an interesting one. Number one, a lot of people want to train abs because they're getting a little fat in the middle. Right. And that, it's not going to work. There's a great study came out, I think it's maybe University of Virginia, um, 
where they showed that you had to do 700 crunches a day for a year to lose a pound of fat. <laughs> and, and, and okay, so it's a worthless exercise. We all know that. But it, it can also be potentially damaging to the low back, um, unloaded trunk, uh, right. spinal flexion. But, but what, what also happens is people get into having that abdominal burn. And right. you know we really have uh, a, a fondness for specific core strengthening exercises, but we never go beyond five or eight reps. Right. And so these are very, very hard exercises and a lot like you'd remember from your days of gymnastics, you mm -hmm. know, like the various variations of planks, um, you know, pikes, leg raises, things like that. So. Right. Right. And, and I think something that the deadlift does that's really important that you just sort of touched on is... You know, when I was a gymnast and we were doing planks and leg lifts and things like that as training, it wasn't a keep your body as loose as possible and and hold the plank for as long as possible. And it wasn't a throw your legs up with as much momentum as you can muster and arch your back and kip your legs up. It was it was more about keeping your body really tight and making that movement perfect. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're lifting something heavy you're much more inclined to want to keep that perfect or you're going to end up hurting yourself. And with body weight exercises like the plank or the leg lift, people tend to get sloppy really fast just to get more reps in, even, even the yeah. pull up, you know? So yeah, sure. you stole the words right out of my mouth. Um, I think, I guess I only really started deadlifting maybe three years ago and I was just like an average climber before that. And I guess I still am an average climber. <laughs> um, we, we all are. I know. Um, <laughs> but uh, that was what I learned was able to, when I asked my body to the, you know, keep the kinetic chain as we talk in climbing from your toes all the way to your fingertips, um, the deadlift taught me how to fire my quads, my glutes, my abs, all the way into my closing my hand for a crimp. Um, when you really needed to turn it on through like a cruxy section or some super hard boulder problem, that was the biggest thing that I, I thought I gained from the, besides just getting stronger and having a stronger posterior chain, but um, being able to fire those muscles exactly when I wanted to, mm -hmm. and then also learn how to relax them exactly when you want to, because yeah. it's that. Yeah, I think that's really game. important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, just to put that into climbing speak, I think that's something that, you know, boulders, boulders tend to be better at firing more muscles while they're climbing. Mm -hmm. And route climbers tend to be better at relaxing them. Mm -hmm especially if you come from the red like I do or these long enduro areas, you know. Um, here at Wild Iris, it might be a little different. But it's really good as any style climber, you know, if you're getting on a long boulder problem or even a fairly short boulder problem that ends with one really, really hard move, you need to stay as relaxed as possible for as long as possible until you really have to fire everything. And I think these kinds of exercises where you go between that relax, tighten back up, lift, you know, when you go through that cycle over and over, it teaches you to do that. Yep. And especially when it gets heavy, you, you can't, yeah, exactly. you can't relax. It's yeah. just not going to go up. Yep. Yeah. And that, that's one of the, it brings up an important point of where we talk about technical max. Um, you know, your max max is the most you could pull off the ground ever, you know, with any kind of terrible, form right. your technical max is the max at which you can perform the movement flawlessly you know it flows perfectly there's no sway in your posture there's no bend in the low back and that's i mean maybe it's it's 10 percent lower than your what you could possibly pull 
Um, but it's a, it's a really important zone to train in. And we really like to keep people in that um, maybe 75 to 85% of their max zone, mm-hmm. especially climbers. I mean, we just need you to get stronger in the core, um, stronger in the, in the posterior chain. We don't need to set kind of some kind of deadlift record. And that's why we are absolutely against using belts or bands or special lifting shoes or anything like that, because we're not training for a high deadlift number. Right. Um, the, the belt is used to create thoracic pressure. Um, and it, the core muscles, the abdominals are also used to create thoracic pressure. And so wearing a belt during all your training, um, it would be like wearing, you know, taping your ankles to go for a trail run. Gotcha. Um, you, you don't want to, to train with that belt. Right. You're um, defeating the whole purpose. Yeah. Then. Same with the shoes, same with everything. And, and, you know, we get some flack about that, but the raw deadlift is really as far as any climber needs to go. Yeah. And I think, you know, your point with not using special shoes or belts or whatever, not only is it just defeating the purpose, but, you know, uh, Dan John, I think said, keep the goal, the goal. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, our goal is to get better at climbing and get stronger for climbing, not to necessarily become a great deadlifter. Yep. You know, so. And you'll find yourself as you, as folks start to get into the deadlift, um, same way you chase grades and oh, get yeah, hurt. Man. Like it's, it is so easy to be like ten more pounds. Yeah. Like no right doubt. after you did your PR, like, oh I can do ten more. Yep. And then you hurt your back. Oh, I think especially because it's so easily quantifiable. Mm-hmm. You know, climbing is people love to be able to quantify things and climbing is so hard to do that. You know, even though we've got this really broken down grade system, it still means basically nothing when it comes down to it, you know, and and weightlifting is really black and white. Like, you know, you can add two pounds and you know you've done something different, mm-hmm. you know, something better. So I can definitely see getting wrapped up in that. Yeah. I, I think that's part of the interest in, in hangboarding, you know, because you can yeah. hang with a certain amount of weight for a certain amount of time and then mm-hmm. you, you can edge that up and make a little bit of progress. And I think that that's a little bit dangerous because our, our you know, our tendon structure tends not to get... Um, as, as fatigued, we don't feel the fatigue in it the way right. we would in a muscle. And so usually the first sign of a finger injury is when you hear the sound mm-hmm. and it pops. And so I, uh, I really like people making, you know, very big jumps on those weights, um, with, with hangboarding. Right. Cause then, you know, like you, you got to own body weight and then we're going to go to 10 pounds. And yeah. then once you own 10 pounds, we're going to go to 20 pounds. You know, like, do you do the same thing with, with your deadlifting clients? I, I do. I like that. I, I, it's not all the time, but, um, one of the things that, um, that is a great idea is just use the big wheels, 45s and 25s. Yep. And so then you're going from, you know, you'll take these big leaps of around 50 pounds. Um, and so you're really going to own 185 before you go to 225. Right. Um, and which is really great mm. because then it forces them to groove that technique and get excellent at it. Um, but that, that only works part of the time. I think part of the time people really do want that little, those little progress things and deadlifting is not near as dangerous as hangboarding as far as like adding a pound might or might not break you. Right. It's not um, as much about their tendons at that point. Yeah. And so I think, um, and, and the availability and the ease of changing the weight on a deadlift makes it a little different. Yeah. Uh, tell me this, Steve, how long have you been deadlifting? Oh, I, well, I, I, 
<laughs> my first good deadlift was probably last week. <laughs> no, it's it's funny. Um, we we did a little bit in um, in college, but mm-hmm. you know, I was I came through college in the '90s, and it was still very much the machine era, the 1890s. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so and, and so we we were lifting gin wagons. No, we uh, <laughs> we had had a lot of machines, like you know. Um, uh, hip sleds and things yeah, like that. Yeah. And so my first real serious um, deadlifting was um, in Salt Lake City. I worked there for a couple of years in a gym and um, trained with a guy named Neil Anderson. And and he he's like, you know, we're gonna pick these barbells up. And and so that was that was really where I started with that and, and learning the Olympic lifts. So and, it was maybe two thousand. And do you still approach it? like a skill all the time or do you get into this quantifiable I want to add more weight to my deadlift thing um you no know, you know and it's funny Charlie and I were talking about maxes the other day and if if you asked how much I can deadlift I would give you my max of course it's like how hard do you climb but the the my max was in 2011 so like 5 years ago I haven't lifted that much since right and so um, I, I really look at it as making sure that I'm staying within that technical framework of, of being able to do it. And I'm a huge fan of two sets of five, mm-hmm. especially, um, with the amount of focus I put on it. Um, it's, it's easy to implement in other programs and I can do two sets of five a couple of times a week and I'll still edge those weights up. And so, you know, even if you come back off a long layoff and you're hanging out, say like 200 pounds. The next week you can go to 205, next week you can go to 210, making really safe progression there. Right. Um, and the deadlift we not only use for strength, but I use it as an adjunct to hangboarding um, for the metabolic benefits of it. Gotcha. And this is, this is a really interesting thing because I think that in the future we'll see more weightlifting integrated with hangboard training because the strength response is partially neurological and is partially metabolic. Mm -hmm. Um, But if we're trying to get strong, you need both of those things. The metabolic response to the forearm musculature being strengthened is very slight. Um, It's not a very big muscle group. Right. And so if you get in there and you do um, some heavy squats or heavy deadlifts, um, heavy, you know, weighted pull-ups, combine those with, with your hangboarding, one, it makes you rest between your hangboard sets a little mm-hmm. bit more. Two, it's going to up that metabolic value. And I think that people will get stronger faster sure. if they combine the two. Plus, it, it helps with scheduling. As you know, as a coach, it's hard yeah. to figure out when to put all this crap in. Yeah, so. exactly. You just can't run it all yeah. consecutively or they end up in the gym for four hours. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I would say with the maxing, like it's, it's I mean, it's fun to chase numbers and, and, yeah, and, definitely. and get a better PR, but I know I'm about two years from my max or maybe two and a half years. <clears throat> and I think Steve said it, or we, we might've gotten it from someone, but, um, you only have to be strong enough. Like we're climbers, we're not power lifters. Um, and so if any climber that's deadlifting two times their body weight for males and one and a half times, uh, for females, like you just need to stay around that weight. And you don't really need to go any stronger than that. Like you just, there's no reason to. Um, but if you fall off the bandwagon and and don't keep deadlifting and get super weak, then you got to pick it back up. Yeah, definitely. And so, quick question, just based on that, 
Um, you know, like I said, I haven't deadlifted since end of last summer, so it's probably been 10 months since the last time I deadlifted, but I have been really digging into kettlebells and doing a lot of, you know, heavy kettlebell swings and, and just really learning kettlebells. Um, since there are so many modalities, so many implements to, to use, do you suggest that people should continue deadlifting through experimenting with other strength training or is, is deadlifting just something that they should always keep coming back to? Um, Steve might have a better answer for that, but Mm. I, whether you're deadlifting or not, we're, we're, we're really just talking about hip hinging. Hip hinging. Um, so, you know, I just came off like, uh, this, uh, spring I did like two kind of six week cycles of like heavy deadlifts. Um, I'm not deadlifting now because I'm focusing on some other stuff like front squats and maybe my bench press, but I'm still doing the hip hinge in my workouts. And right now I'm just, I've chosen the heavy kettlebell swing. Um, or you could choose to do the Romanian deadlift, which is kind of using the hamstring as a primary mover, Mm -hmm. um, and still getting the hip hinge within your workout. Um, but you don't necessarily have to keep 100% deadlifting every single workout. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I agree with Charlie and, and the way we look at the four movement patterns is, is like a four burner stove. Mm-hmm. You have three of them simmering and one of them you're really pushing. And so if you're working your one arm pull up, those, you know, the squat, the hip hinge, the press, they, they should just be maintained at a very low, right. uh, low uh, intensity or low volume at a, at a moderate intensity. So you, you know, like Charlie's, you know, he can deadlift in the low 400s, you know, when he's, simmering the deadlift if we take him back to like the low 300s he's going to be um you know he's not going to be losing any strength but it's still not going to be destroying him right um and when he's really focusing on deadlifting then you know the bench press the pull up and the squat are, are really backed off and and all of these numbers it's important chris to to understand that the amount of time that we are spending on these is very slight um, compared to like what a power lifter would would do, um, you we're never sacrificing performance climbing um, right. for this, um, and and so like like Charlie said, you'll deadlift for six weeks, um, and then we'll go into s- specifically like ballistics, like like the swing, right. um, and and let that deadlift come back. But you'd maybe be doing heavy squats at that time. You want to have something that's stimulating you. Um, during all those times and for, for men, especially, well, for men and women, but for people that are over 30, over 35, right. lifting is huge for maintaining your growth hormone. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's so critical to your testosterone levels and things. They, there's these great studies that show that a couple of sets of front squats would be equal to X amount of testosterone supplementation pills, you know, or mm. whatever it is. It's so I think it's a critical factor in staying young and, and, and continuing your climbing career as you get older. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you said that because I, I've always looked at it as, you know, the four movements mm. and, and deadlifting isn't always what I do or always what I prescribe. Um, so yeah, looking at it, uh, deadlifting is definitely the popular word it's the trend you it's know badass. It yeah looks cool it looks cool it is cool pick up heavy things is cool well know? and it's it's hard to cheat like 
you see people cheat the bench press by not taking the bar to their chest. Right. People will cheat the pull up by like rubbernecking it and sticking right. their eyes over the bar. Um, they'll cheat the squat. You know, it's like the, the national American guy squat form is to go about a, three inches down and then come back up. Right. <laughs> but the deadlift, you can't BS. Cause there's no way you're going to stop before you stand up. Cause right. when you stand up, it's the only place you're happy. Right. And you can't do anything but pick it up off the ground. Yeah. And so it's, it's really cool in that way. And it's a total body integrated thing. And you know, if you're going super heavy on that thing, you can be, you can be wiped out for days neurologically. And so it's uh it's definitely one of the big bang things. And, and a lot of guys will say, if you could only do one exercise, that would be the one. Yeah. And I, I think I agree with that. Um, you know, I've, since I work with a lot of people remotely, I don't generally just jump them right into the deadlift, but, but I also really like the kettlebell swing, mm -hmm. uh, learning the swing, kettlebell deadlifts, kettlebell swings as, as sort of the big bang exercise when they're just learning it. And then when they feel like the hip hinge is, is something that they're accustomed to, then I can move them into deadlift. And in fact, I just moved quite a few of my girls into mostly deadlifting for their weight training. And, and I think it's probably the most important exercise for steep rock climbing. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's the cave climbing. And I would say too, um, I've certainly learned this from Steve where, um, you got to choose the lifts or the strength training where it makes sense in your cycle. And yeah. so around here, like we can climb pretty much year round. Right. Um, but like December, January is kind of when, you know, the holidays is kind of hard. You're traveling. Um, <clears throat> we might get, um, obviously shorter days, but more snow in the Canyon up at sinks. But like, you know, a climber should have maybe, uh, a month or two month block where they're kind of coming off a, a red point, uh, kind of phase. And then really focus on strength training and do it three times a week and do mm -hmm. kind of lighter sessions in the gym or out at your local crag uh, and get strong. And then hopefully what you've done is got stronger and then maintain it through the spring and in the summer around here at least. And then you kind of go back into your strength session December, January, um, having maintained your strength from before and then it just keeps creeping up as you get older. Yeah. As you go and it's, I'm glad you brought that up as well. So let's kind of dig into where to put deadlifting, when to put it in, how to put it in, because there's so many things everyone's trying to train. You know, everyone wants to do everything at once. Yeah. And in fact, this is not a joke. I've had people buy my eBooks and try to do the Boulder Strong eBook at the same time as they're doing the Climb 513 eBook yeah. and send me an email and say, how can I make these two work together? You know, and yeah. what, why would you do that? What's that? So. I can't remember the Dan John quote. It's like, if you do a little of a lot, you'll be okay at nothing <laughs> or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. it, it reminds me of that. There was that commercial where they like have the taco and then they add the, you know, they put the, the, <laughs> yeah. all the different shells around. The yeah. Taco. And then the pizza yeah. and then yeah. they deep fry it. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is like the, the, the adding is, is always an issue. And so that's the, uh, and it's the, um, St. Exupery quote of perfection is attained when there's nothing else to take away. Mm -hmm. And, and Chenard did a great job of that. And that's sort of Patagonia's guiding philosophy of like, how do we, how do we strip it away? How do we get away with less stuff? And, and so 
you know, what, what do we find is essential? Like the, the fundamental um, basis of training should be movement. You need to be able to move correctly. And so your, your number one goal is mobility. And I, I've had a couple of guys come in for assessments this last couple of weeks, and we do a shoulder mobility assessment with an overhead reach. Um, and we're basically just looking at how high they can get their, their uh, arms above their head. And you want to have your arm line up with your ear or behind your ear right. in order to have good shoulder <clears throat> mobility and to reach far. But these guys are like their arms out in front of them, like they're saluting Hitler or <laughs> like a Trump rally or something. <laughs> and they're, they're like, you know, and so here these guys are trying to make a reach move on a cliff and they can't get their arms straight up. And I'm like, you know, you're, you're gonna be two inches taller if you get your shoulder mobility. Right. So we do hip mobility to get them against the wall. We want their mobility to, to allow them to maximize their hip hinge. Mm -hmm. um, once they've got the mobility, then we get them good and strong. Strength is so fundamental. It, it, time and again in climbing, the stronger guy um, can can take that strength and and pull it out into endurance, um, yep. and so we you know we see it all the time. The boulderer um, becomes the good endurance climber, becomes the big wall climber. You yep. know, Tommy Caldwell is a great example. Right. Started out as a kid boulderer, um, and um, and so that fundamental amount of strength is is really key. And so these four movement patterns and bouldering should form the basis of a person's training most of the year. The four movement patterns are part of being an athlete. It's not specific to climbing. They're part of being a human. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's going to make you live longer and um, a, f a freer, more effective life. Right. Um, and, but so, you know, we do uh, adjust the times. And like Charlie said, there's, if, if the athlete is keen for it, um, a couple of months a year, they should be focusing on, on really getting strong and then maintaining it. Other people do well simmering along, but I do think that they should change their program fairly frequently. Like, yeah, you know, go, you know, singles, doubles part of the year, do volume builds another part of the year, yeah. that kind of thing. Every four to six weeks. Is that something? Um, how often do you switch things up? Yes. Six weeks seems like it's the ceiling for everybody. Four weeks is a very convenient um, pattern within our, our lives and the cycles that we live. Yep. Um, and so if you were to say, focus on three by three deadlifting, three sets of three, um, a couple of days a week. And I, I really rarely take guys more than two days a week on it anyway. But um, then the next, the next four week phase, maybe you would do a ladder where it's like, you know, one, two, three, one, two, three. Um, so you're changing the volume of it. You're, you actually right. would try to hold that same weight for the whole four weeks mm -hmm. and adjust the volume forward. That works really well with older athletes. Um, we have gr great success with pressing and hinging on that program. And then go to these, um, five by twos or two by fives. Um, and, and changing it occasionally is, is really helpful. Um, however, a couple of years ago, Charlie did a really remarkable experiment with... Um, I think I read this. You yeah, read something about it, right? He did the yeah. same uh, training plan for 40 days, and I'll let you tell him about it. Uh, yeah, so Dan John and uh, Pavel Tsatsoulin had that book called Easy Strength. And uh, I remember reading this section. It was a uh, 40-day workout. It's so easy, you won't do it. And I was like, oh, all right, watch me. Um, but uh, yeah, so it was, uh, 
it was 40 workouts. So I, I Monday through Friday, it was the same workout. I had weekends off. So it was eight weeks. Um, and it was, I chose uh, a different lift than suggested because I wanted to work on it. But um, the recommendation, the protocol was uh, a hip hinge, uh, a push, a pull, a ballistic, like a kettlebell swing or a kettlebell snatch, and then some sort of, uh, um, Dan, Chal- Dan John called it the anterior chain or some sort of ab work right. um, or uh, midsection work. And all you do is you're either doing two by fives of each uh, of the um, hip hinge, uh, pull and push two by 25 or two by 50 of the ballistic. So a lot more volume yep. uh, with the swing and then a, only one by five of the, of the core and you just straight sets, you do the two by five hip hinge and then so on and so forth. Um, workout took like 45 minutes and then you're also suggested to kind of wave the load. So some just kind of, as it makes sense, I do five by twos, um, right. or two by 25s, two by fifties. And I did the pistol squat. Uh, I chose not to do the hip hinge because I'd come off a, a bunch of deadlifting. Uh, I did the one arm, one leg push up. I did weighted pull ups, uh, swings, and then just ab rollouts like on a barbell mm-hmm. or a wheel. Um, and I started out, I even have the number still. I started out doing the pistol squat my first day of the workout. Um, a two by five at 25 pounds in my hand, like kind of in the goblet squat fashion. I could barely do a one, aim, one arm, one leg push up with like elevated on a 24 inch box. Um, weighted pull-ups was two by fives with 25 pounds, two arm kettlebell swings was 35 pounds at 225. And then I could like, you know, do some rollouts. And then at the end, um, and I just did the same workout over and over again. I, I increased the load as it made sense, as it got easy. Um, I did a pistol squat five by two at 70 pounds. Uh, I was doing one arm, one leg pushups on the ground, uh, at like sets of two, three, and five. Hmm. Weighted pull-ups, I was doing five by twos with 70 pounds, and then two arm kettlebell swing, two by 25 with 70 pounds, and then was able to do like the standing from your foot rollouts with the barbell. Wow. And it was crazy. I didn't, I never felt tired going into workout. I didn't gain a single pound, which I was super skeptical of. Yeah. Um, I was, I totally come from the background of like thinking that lifting heavy weights was going to make me heavy. Uh, sure. And, it just, it, and I it think most people it. listening yeah. probably do as well. Yeah. That's why cyclists have such big legs is because they lift heavy. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's an interesting thing. That's something that we we deal with continually um, is I'm going to get big. But, right. but look at the morphology of a cyclist. Look at the morphology of a swimmer. I mean, they, they don't look that way because they lift heavy. It's because they do moderate um, loads at high volumes. Yeah. Um, Big guys like weightlifter guys also can be strong, but it's not, uh, you know, A equals B. Um, and, you know, if you look at Emily Tilden or Ellen, my wife, I mean, these are, you know, very normal looking, very thin women, but, yeah. you know, like they can both deadlift, I don't know, a couple hundred pounds. Yeah. I don't, oh, I don't yeah. know what their numbers are. Two, yeah. 215. Yeah. yeah. I used Emily as an example just the other day because. Yeah. You know, I've seen her win the pull-up competition yeah. here at the festival, and yeah. you know, and she she's also a you know ultra marathon runner, and yeah. she's just an exceptional athlete. And honestly, if you if you weren't tuned in to how athletes move, you would never guess that she's an exceptional athlete because she just doesn't she doesn't exhibit this super muscular frame that you expect to see on an athlete. 
Right. And, and I think that that's the thing, you know, we, we will run into like, I'm going to, I, I want to, I don't want to look different or I want to get leaner. And an interesting thing, these people that are semi fat, um, and they're afraid of getting any bigger, they'll, they'll really shy away from resistance training mm-hmm. when at, the metabolic value of it is pretty high. Um, and you know, they've shown that with high intensity resistance training and with intervals, your metabolism will stay high for several hours afterwards, like 30, 35 hours later, you've still got a slightly elevated metabolism where if you go and, you know, get on the elliptical and ride for 45 minutes, your metabolism goes right back down to the basement. Right. And so weight training is important for weight loss and fat mass, weight gain, everything is diet driven. If you're eating anabolically, you're going to get bigger if you're eating more than you expend. If you eat less than you expend, you're going to get smaller. And, sure. and so the training has very little to do with that. We used to like try to encourage people, you know, get out there and, and sweat and try hard to, to burn these calories, right. but it's really negligible. I mean, you can do a really hard workout and that's equal to about like a piece of toast and peanut butter. So just mm-hmm. don't eat the toast and peanut butter and and work out to be strong rather than to be sweaty yeah i agree um let's let's get back into the scheduling so you're you're deadlifting in you know four ish week cycles and then and then you like to switch to a ballistic for a mm-hmm. little while is that right um where in a climbing training program should that happen do you well, should they be deadlifting before they're in a serious climbing training program? Should it be, you know, in the strength phase of their climbing training or how should they run it? Well, I feel like you should, you know, you should have all of these things sort of running all, all at once, but you should have these f- things that you focus on. And right. so what, what I mean by that is there'll be a time of the year that you're wanting to push those deadlift numbers up. Mm-hmm. And at that point you've got to, um, or, you know, or your pull-ups or whatever, but you've got to say my priority in this training cycle is to improve these things. And so what I'll do with my athletes is say, here are three goals or two goals of this training cycle, um, like advance our deadlift max or, um, improve, you know, pull-up numbers or, um, improve my average V grade in the bouldering, uh, workout. And so you've got these, these specific things and those would conflict with red pointing at your max level. Sure. And so, but when, when you build up, say you build up, build up, build up, and you get to a deadlift of like, you know, 395 or something. Um, once you've attained that, it becomes easier and easier to get there again. It's easier to maintain it. Um, and it's very much like our climbing grades, like, you, you get this thing called training age going. And so then when, when I built up and held that deadlift at a certain level, I can then back the volume off, um, back off maybe slightly to say 375 or something, and then maintain that right into a climbing phase without a lot of neurological overload. Right. It's really quite easy. And so um, mm. like there's a, there's a super good climber here in town named Devlin Junker. And um, he's... Um, when he lifts, it's right after his, he climbs hard. Right. And so it'll be like the same day as his um, 
climbing or, or else the next morning. Yep. So I think that that's, I think that's a schedule that works for most people. Yeah. It doesn't conflict. And you know, it's hard to rally like driving down from the crag. I'm going to, you know, yep. grab a sports drink and head to the gym is hard to do, but it allows you to maintain enough of a climbing schedule that you're going to climb well. Um, the, you know, you're two days later or whatever, but more importantly, um, maintaining this overall physicality, um, can increase your peak and it can, it can spread out that peak to, to where you can maintain higher levels of performance climbing for, you know, instead of two weeks or whatever, a, a normal periodized program gives you, you know, maybe it's eight weeks, maybe it's 12 weeks, um, yep. just by, by not getting weak during that red pointing phase. Yeah. So, you know, let's say you've decided you're, you know, you're going to be working on the deadlift during whatever phase of your climbing that you're in. How do you put that in during the week if you don't have the option to, to do it right after your climbing? Um, well, the weekend warrior schedule is, is really common. And, and so a lot of people climb on Saturday, Sunday, and then maybe on Wednesday or something at, at a climbing gym. And so what I would say is put it, um, at least one full day before a climbing day. Mm -hmm. Um, it's okay to back it up after a climbing day. Cause if you're a little bit weak at, from climbing, it, you can adjust the loads in the gym. I, again, we don't care how heavy you deadlift. Right. Um, and when we back off and we're training, like, you know, if you're, you know, if your max is 300, I'm going to train you most of the time around 225 or something, you know, 75% right. of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so at 75% of max, you can be a little bit tired or you can be fresh and you're still going to be able to pull it without any pain or injury. Um, and so, but what, what you want to look for is making sure that you're always coming into the climbing days fresh. So you stack that, that, um, deadlifting as close to your previous climbing day as possible and then give yourself that rest day in between. Yeah. I, th I think it's really hard. Um, you know, a couple of years ago when I started to kind of do this integrated strength training with climbing, it's like hard to wrap your head around like, man, if I deadlift today or if I deadlift on Monday, there's no way I'm gonna be ready to climb on Wednesday. And I, I think, I think it feels that way at first, especially when you're starting to learn a new lift and your yeah. hamstrings are super tight after the first time you ever did a kettlebell swing. I'm sure everyone remembers that. Um, but once you get into your groove and you're constantly training, you get your own weekly schedule or monthly schedule dialed. Like for example, I'm a weekend warrior. Sometimes I get out Wednesday midweek or climb in the gym, but it's like Sunday I climb, whether it's in a, some sort of red point phase or, or volume phase. I strength train on Monday, I rest Tuesday, I climb Wednesday, I strength train and climb Thursday, rest Friday, and I'm like always fresh for the weekend. Yeah, and when you say strength train and climb, you climb first and then strength train, or do you strength train and then go climbing? I used to <laughs> climb and then strength train first because I was like, you know, under the impression that I should like climb first. But uh, really, we've been um, experimenting with it. The strength training um, really warms you up for your climbing sessions, mm -hmm. and it's it's really hard to force yourself to like be in the gym for 20 minutes i mean 30 minutes or whatever to like yeah. actually warm your fingers up yep. and pulling on the barbell or swinging the kettlebell i come in here and i'm i'm pretty much warm after 10 or 15 minutes you know you have to kind of get on some small hold and stuff yep. um but it's it's been awesome it's it gets you psyched to to try hard and again it, it keeps those climbing sessions focused um because you're not trying to climb hard in the gym you're trying to climb hard outside 
Right. Now, so how many days a week did you just say you strength train? You're, you're strength training twice a week, three times a week. Yeah, if I'm not like in a strength focus, that's usually three days a week. But yeah, it's usually Monday, Thursday. Okay. Two days a week. Okay, good. That's about what I do and what I usually suggest as well. Um, and actually, I'm I'm kind of toying since I've just moved here to town and I have this option to go outside for half a day, mm-hmm. which I never had before because it was a two and a half hour drive to go climbing. Uh, I've really been toying with this idea of coming home after climbing and doing a kettlebell workout or getting in here to deadlift or, you know, whatever. But half days climbing and then go work out. And then I've still got, if we get up early, get to the crag, I've still got most of my day ahead of me, you know, which is, which is a totally new thing to me. And I know Steve's mm. talked about this in articles and other podcasts. It's also a really good way to increase volume or work capacity in like a climbing day. Yeah. Where like sometimes you have days where your fingers just don't feel right and yep. your skin's, skin's completely trashed. Yep. And then, you know, you, you kind of feel like you don't get a good climbing session and you come in here and do a 45 minute um, kettlebell workout. You're, you're psyched. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of people don't have this, this schedule, this ability to, pop into elemental and train you know when i was in cincinnati even though we've got tons of gyms around it's quite a bit more difficult for me to get to a gym where i can deadlift um you know what's the least amount that somebody can do and still make gains well you know it's interesting if you're if you're trying to get stronger um probably training once every four days um, is is sort of the bottom. Um, if you're um, older or female, um, you're going to have to train more frequently to get um, better. And and you know nothing against females. It's just the the sure the hormonal profile of females is such that they the strength hormones are at, at a lower level, and so the the um, frequency of stimulus has to be closer together. Um, so maybe maybe three days a week for an older athlete or a female to, to be building strength. To maintain strength, you can go out to um, once every seven days, once every 10 days, um, but then you start risking degradation of skill um, right. because anything that you do that <clears throat> infrequently, you get a little bit worse at. Anything over 10 days and you're gonna be starting to nosedive on your strength. Mm-hmm. And although that's acceptable for like a young man to like, you know, under 25, take, you know, take two months off. Um, right. Really, you should just do the very basic that you can, you know, the bare minimum. And I'm talking, when we do bare minimum, it's like warm up, then two sets of two at, at the number, um, hit the shower um, or, yep. you know, go on to the other part of your workout. Um, we we ask very little other than to make sure that we're hitting those numbers. And when I, when I say two sets of two, it sounds really easy, but um, it, which reminds me of a story. I, I sent a workout to a guy, you know, and you've done this, like communicating. I, I find it very frustrating communicating long distance with my athletes. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do five um, squats and we're going to do a squat variation, um, like a pistol. Um, and then a push-up variation for five reps and, and do a variation so it's hard. And then do a pull-up variation, five reps so it's hard. And he, you know, emails me the next day. He's like, well, that's the easiest thing I've ever done. 
right. like, you know, you did five body weight air squats with both legs. You did five push-ups and five pull-ups. I mean, right. like, yeah, I mean, my mom can do that as her warm-up, right? Um, but what I had expected for him is to keep trying to make it more difficult. You know, five pistol squats on each leg, followed by five one-arm push-ups, followed by five one-arm pull-ups is quite hard. Yeah. And so when we say two by two, it's not just come in and lift 135 for a couple reps. It's right. usually, you know... Yeah, very close to your it's well it'd be 85 percent of your of your max right mm -hmm. and um and so you're going very very hard but then it's brief and it's over and you're on to your day yeah and that that brings me to another thing um i was really interested in i, I got a look at your book the other day and and i was really interested in how you've set it up in um basically doing 10 lifts per session. You know, that's, that's what you're doing. And I'm right now, since I'm just coming back into it and I want to build the skill back up, I'm doing what you suggest and doing about 20 lifts per session. Uh, is that right? Is that the number that you suggest in the book? Reps. Yeah. Reps. Yeah. 20 reps yeah. per session. Yeah. Yep. And, and it really doesn't take much time at all. Um, especially if you're, you know, I'm supersetting it with a with a pushing exercise and and then doing some mobility work uh, while I'm resting, and I feel like I get a ton done in a really short time. Today, right before we recorded this, I showed up at you know four fifteen or something, and you guys close up at five, and I was done and ready to go. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's good news for the people who are like, I don't have time to do all these workouts because you can get a lot done, especially with the deadlift in a pretty short amount of time. And, and like you guys have said, you get a lot of bang for your buck out of that exercise. So your, your focus has to be on becoming stronger or becoming a better athlete rather than getting tired. And we've yeah. talked about this before the exerciser yeah. mentality. Like if your goal <clears throat> is to sweat and be nauseous, and puke, um, you, you can train that way. But if your goal is to perform better on the rock and to be stronger as a human being, you need to train that way. And those are, those are divergent goals. Um, and, and so one of the great things is to look at it as a, as a long-term investment. Um, I read a great thing a couple of days ago about successful, um, people that are financially successful who continue to increase their wealth versus people that continue to struggle. And they said that 77% of the people that struggle financially bet their money on the lottery or in, in a gambling uh, yeah. uh, yep. environment, um, where only 4% of successful people do that. Um, these guys are putting their money into a retirement account um, and watching it grow. And they're not like rolling the dice and going like, man, I hope this makes me richer. And right. so if you are just randomly hitting the gym and doing whatever's, you know, posted on the wall, that's, that to me is, is lottery thinking. If you come in and you go, okay, I'm, I'm doing five sets of two at 215 again, and you punch through it and it felt easy. Well, good for you. Um, you hit the numbers you wanted and you move on. You've probably experienced this red pointing. It's not like you, you, you here's, I'm going to tell you what happened. And I wasn't even there. You sent the hardest route of your life and it felt easy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you didn't go home that day going, God, that sucked. I didn't try very hard at the crag. I'm not even sore. That was a, that was a terrible climbing day. Right. No, because 
your climbing day is performance-based and your training in the gym needs to be performance-based too. Did I hit the numbers I wanted to hit? Um, if, I, if I sweated or not, if I felt nauseous or not, is a side effect of that. We, we care about performance. And so we've got to always think that way. And that's, that's exactly what this is about. You know, you do 10 reps. If all of those reps felt great, you know, and 10 reps in, in any of uh, the combinations of like two sets of five, three sets of three, um, one, two, three, one, two, three, um, whatever that is, the volume stays low. Um, we don't need to smoke the athlete um, on the deadlift because we want him to try hard at the crag. Um, and hit those numbers if they all went really really well we tick it up a little bit with the deadlift we never progress people more than five pounds per workout even even at the very beginning it takes them forever and it drives them crazy but yeah <laughs> but eventually they they get really um really good yeah and i think that's important because a lot of people like you said before really want that tired feeling you mm -hmm. know and just giving them giving people 10 reps to do even if they're hard reps they're gonna want to burn themselves out because that's kind of the mentality we've all been yeah. plugged into us you know it's just it's just how we go into the gym thinking we want to come out sweating and tired and yeah. we have to crawl out the door um so looking at it like we want to become better athletes not we want to become pools of sweat on the gym floor is a pretty good way to look at it yeah, we we have the airdyne to answer that question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the the uh, if you're not tired at the end of the workout, do the one minute airdyne test, mm -hmm. and that's a that's a really great one. See what see how many calories you can get in a minute. And that's a that's a nice challenge. So, what are the most common issues you guys see with new deadlifters? Because I think a lot of people are going to be you know, they've been watching this trend in the climbing world and, and your resources going to be the place they go to learn to deadlift. What are the most common issues you see with new deadlifters? Uh, I think, oh man, there's a lot. Um, but mobility, yeah, certainly mobility, like folks just not being able to get into position correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, and so working on, uh, getting folks, folks hips more mo mobile. Do you um, see that with climbers often? Is that a, you know, let's just say that people are, I don't know if I've worked climbers, with climbers coming in where I've yeah. seen it, but I'd say, yeah, I'd say hip mobility in the, in the ability to turn out, mm -hmm. um, and also hamstring flexibility. Um, hamstring is, flexibility is definitely something I'm yeah. lacking in and working on. So mm -hmm. uh, the mobility again, mobility leads strength. And so we, we can get real strong on the deadlift, but we want them to be able to make the most of it. And so one of our initial screens is a hip mobility screen. And if the, if the athlete's failing that hip mobility, um, I would be real inclined to have them learn like a kettlebell swing, um, do some trap bar deadlift or one of the variations of a deadlift. Um, and then spend, you know, spend all of our cash on getting them more mobile because mobility is going to pay off like crazy. And we have these two basic screens we start all of our assessments with. And if they can't pass the shoulder mobility and they can't pass the hip mobility one, then we've got, we've got gold as far as making that athlete better because all of a sudden you get somebody mobile and then they can exploit all the strength they already have. And so, yeah, the, the number one issue would be hip mobility, 
then hamstring flexibility, and then we get into the, the, the movements. And we've actually got a little section on all the, the what is it, four most common errors? Four or six, yeah. I think, I think when folks are learning how to deadlift, I don't want to say like the theory of deadlift, or I guess mechanics would be a better phrase, but I, th I think people don't understand exactly what's supposed to happen when you deadlift. Um, I think people, A, think it's like actually having a ton of arm involvement. Like, yeah, right. you got to hold on to the barbell and you don't <clears> want to let it go. Um, but it's really, that's all you're doing. Like you're not shrugging your shoulders at the top. Um, and the barbell needs to move in a completely straight line. Like if we had the either end of each barbell, like on a single track, like a, or like a plumb line, the right. barbell should not deviate from that line. It's not doing a little S turn or a little whoop de doo gotcha. around the knees. Yeah. Um, people think just cause they've bent down and their knees feel like they're in the way. As soon as they stand up, it's the knees are they're going to clear their knees and get out of the way. Um, and then also the knees over the toes. Um, this is probably more hip flexor uh, issues. Folks have really tight hip flexors from sitting in an office all day or long road trips, commuting to work, yep. um, where folks will uh, get down to the bottom of the deadlift and their knees will be over their toes. And really we want to be as efficient as possible. We don't want to start moving our knees back before we lift. We want our shins to be completely vertical and you're just dragging that barbell up the shins and then clearing yeah. the knees. And I think people have a tendency to want to keep the bar out from their shins mm -hmm. absolutely they yeah they're start. like oh it's gonna hurt it's gonna hurt and right. and with climbers right I, we, I think we even said it in the in the in the manual we all understand what like direction of pull is right when we're setting anchors yep. it's no different than the barbell and I, I hate seeing and i try to i try to correct it before it happens but if you start with that barbell out away from your shins as soon as you pick it up you're gonna thwap the crap out of your shins it's yep. gonna hurt for sure yeah uh, just a, slightly in another direction are there things that you know, if, if a climber feels like they don't have the hip mobility um, and that ends up, you know, if their hip flexors are tight and that's pushing their knees out over their toes, what's something that they can do to start working on that? I, I can think of two stretches that's helped me over the last couple of years. A really simple one's called the frog stretch. Mm -hmm. Kind of hard to explain on the uh, over the podcast, but folks can look it up. If anything says strong first, frog stretch or hip flexor stretch, it's kind of this half kneeling position. Those two things on every single workout in front of the TV when you're watching Netflix, um, all the time, um, do that and, and folks will get uh, open, the hips open. We've got um, Ellen, which is really good because she's got good mobility. She does frog stretch, kneeling hip flexor, prying cobra, and um, uh, tug of war squat. Oh yeah. And you've we got have those videos. We have them all. Too. They're on the climb strong TV, yeah. um, oh, yeah. YouTube channel. So yeah. they're, they're good. She does a good job with them. And, and, um, those, yeah, those are critical. And, and the general rule of thumb on that is to do your hip mobility one day a week for each decade of your life. So if you're in your forties, it's four days a week. If you're in your fifties, it's five days a week. If you're older than that, you got a full-time job. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and we like to integrate it with the training. Um, I used to, um, oh man, I apologize to everybody that I trained before 2005 because, you know, <laughs> you know it's funny. Uh, we used to have them walk on the treadmill to warm up and then we, you know, lift and then they'd stretch at the end. And it, well, that it, was, if, that was the rule back then. Yeah. But if did. I'm standing over you telling you to stretch, you're going to do it. But if you're on your own, like you're, you got somewhere else to be. Right. And so we really like doing, like I was talking about the integrated strength stuff earlier, Chris, with, um, like a, a strength exercise, like a deadlift, then a hangboard, 
and then um, we throw in a mobility. Right. And so what's really great there is then I've got my several minutes of rest between my deadlifts. Um, I've got, maybe I do a minute of frog stretch after a deadlift pull, and then I go and I get on the hangboard for 10 seconds or whatever. You can do little sets of hangboard, whatever it is. Um, but those <coughs> sequencing through those things is, is really um, quite efficient if the facility allows for it. Right. Um, otherwise, hangboard and mobility, I mean, nobody's going to stop you from stretching anywhere there's a hangboard in, in the world. Um, same thing with a, with a uh, barbell. And if you're in a really crowded gym, it's great to do mobility because then you can stay there and guard your barbell, <coughs> keep people from uh, stealing your weights. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, too, um, another thing that the, the mobility in between your sets does, not only are you helping yourself be more mobile um, to be stronger, it's also forcing you to rest. And I know Steve gets this question a lot, like, how long should I rest for, especially with the hangboard stuff. Right. And the protocol that folks say is like 300 seconds, which is five minutes, which seems like an eternity. Mm -hmm. um, so it actually gives you something to do instead of like playing on your phone or thinking five minutes went by, but really only 30 seconds went by. Right. Um, and it's forcing you to be uh, completely ready for that next set because we're, we're working at a heavy load. Mm -hmm. And just a quick question for you guys. Um, I've really been loving using like this rogue supernova and lacrosse balls and things like that as part of my mobility, especially my hamstrings with the supernova because they're, my hamstrings are so tight, so ropey. And I feel like I don't get much out of stretching them at all until I break that up. Yeah. You know, is that something that you guys use often? So, you know, we, myofascial release type things? We do a little bit of it and we, we do protocol that we got from Alan Cosgrove that's called ramp, which is range of motion. Um, then, uh, we start with range of motion. Then we, uh, we'll go to the, uh, foam roller, um, things like that. And then movement prep. Mm -hmm. And so if you've got, um, got issues, um, with the, uh, you know, like your hamstrings, you can roll them out. Um, and one of the great, uh, analogies is, you know, think about your hamstrings as a string with knots in it. Well, you can stretch it, but the knots just get worse. Right. But if you take the knots out first and then roll and then stretch it, then you're just going to improve the quality. And so that's where that stuff comes in. Self, self massage. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, the posterior chain, your glutes and hamstrings tend to, um, tend to loosen up pretty quick. They're very vascular. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's generally within the movement prep stuff. The first ten to fifteen minutes of the workout. Okay, that was just totally a selfish question. So. Yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. And in between, that, I think I think we devalue what feels good sometimes. We're like, I like foam rolling between sets. Well, if you like it and it feels good, it's probably not going to hurt you. Yep. You know, and so um, whether it's like, don't stretch now, stretch now, don't do this, I. I, there's not a lot of strong evidence on any of that stuff. So, so let's say somebody wants to get started deadlifting. They, you know, their climbing gym doesn't have it. Um, they don't want to join a, a full blown gym. What's the, I mean, what's a good intro for them budget wise? What should they buy? What should they get a hold of? Um, oh man, you know, like they're so CrossFit is so big right now. Um, and, there, it was really fascinating. This this was a stat from a couple of years ago, but there were like 
two CrossFit gyms opening every week or something across the U.S. But then the other stat was that there were two per month closing. Right. Um, and so they were still growing, right? But that made it, a, you know, just this great uh, resource for getting um, barbells and, and uh, bumper plates especially. Mm -hmm. Bumper plates are nice because they're quiet. eBay is the place to look for sure. And especially if you're in an urban area, eBay or Craigslist, you're going to be able to find stuff. You can also find the old standards, the steel plates, which are just fine. They're just louder. Right. Um, but they're going to be really cheap and you can get them for less than a dollar a pound. Um, and then a good barbell. I think it's worth the investment to get a good, strong barbell. Um, and, and the sources for those would be like, um, Sorenex is really good. Rogue is really good. Um, you perform better has a bunch of them. Um, and so get, get the good barbell and then get, you know, as much weight as you think you're going to lift. The, it's real common to see people get up into the 400s. So I think, you know, start start with two or 300 pounds and then be willing to buy some more. Yeah. And you you have a, a guideline for climbers specifically in your book. And I think you say, you know, kind of the guideline for a good deadlift for climbers is one and a half times body weight for women, two times body weight for men. Is that right? Yeah. And that's that's after, you know, that's that's up there <laughs> that's after months and months of training of right. course but and it, it's like charlie said earlier that's the that's the end goal and then sure. then you're gonna you know you might visit that again occasionally but i would say for you know a guy start at 135 that's easy to load up for a female maybe start at 95 mm -hmm. and if you go through your workout three sets of three or whatever it is feels really good boom five more pounds next time um, make sure everything is technically perfect. Right. You know, video, videoing yourself seems weird and um, egotistical, and it usually is. But in this situation, it's educational. Shoot the it's video kind of, the of thing yourself. We all do now, anyway, right? Yeah, so. yeah. But you know, it's fascinating. Um, you know, we were uh, going to a strong first certification last year and working on an exercise called the bent press. And there's, you know, like you video yeah. yourself and you go back and you watch it. You video yourself, go back and watch it. And it's just yep. like this constant feedback loop of like, that was wrong, that was wrong. I've actually done this with the bent press just to see how bad I was. Yeah, yeah. yeah I thought for sure I was doing it right. And then I saw the video. <laughs> yeah. I was like, nope. Yeah. And then we, yeah, <clears throat> then we get with this guy, Dave Whitley, who's like su super dialed on the bent press. He's like, oh, you guys are a bunch of goddamn idiots. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was great. But the video helps, you know, because you do get this feedback and feedback. And, and, uh, and so, and, you know, do, you know, Watch yourself on video, um, look at it. Was it perfect? Did it look weird? What was strange about it? You know, um, the problem with going to YouTube is you might or might not see a great video of a deadlift. Right. Um, and I don't think we have any deadlifting videos up yet, but we can sure get some up here pretty quick. Sure. Um, that would be handy. And I think also too, even for the veteran lifters out there, um, I, was deadlifting recently and it just wasn't feeling right. It didn't feel strong or the numbers didn't really make sense to me the way they should be from previous like logs. I was looking back and I just had Steve come down um, and I probably deadlift, I don't know, 10,000 times in the last few years. Um, but I was like, Steve, this doesn't feel like what's wrong. 
And like as soon as before I even pulled the barbell off the ground, he's like, hey, just get your shins more vertical. They were like over my knees were over my uh, mm -hmm. toes. And boom, that was all it needed. So like don't be afraid to revisit that stuff and like always not necessarily think like a novice, but just because you mastered it once doesn't mean you, you might lose it. Yeah, for sure. When I, when I first started deadlifting again, uh, kind of in my shoulder rehab, I posted a video on Facebook, you know, and, and I posted it because I had screwed it up so bad, mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, what the hell was I doing here? You know? And I got crucified of course, because out of the woodwork came all the experts. People are awfully tough yeah. behind you know? the computer screen. Yeah. And it didn't matter that I had said in my caption, you know, what the hell are my elbows doing here? It's everyone wants to tell me how bad it is, but it was right. But they were right. You know, it's, yeah. I didn't realize that, that while worrying so much about my shoulder and trying to think so much about my back and where I was standing and how I was tightening my midsection, I wasn't fully straightening my arms and I was jerking it up off the ground a little bit. Yeah. And even though it's just a slight bend, it's, it's enough to hurt me if I would have kept absolutely. with that. Yeah. And if I hadn't videoed it, I might not have seen it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's one, I think it's brave and, and not only useful, but brave to do something like that and put it out there. And, and then you've always got to keep in mind that the easiest way to seem smart is to make fun of other people. Mm -hmm. Um, but that never helps them, you right. know? And so I think it's so good when, when your athletes send you videos and they'll say like, what, what's wrong here? How can I make this better? You know, yeah. because you, you really put yourself out there every time you do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you set up a video camera and video yourself on, I think on people, on projects, people should video every single burn. Um, because then you go away for three weeks, you can watch that thing, right. learn, 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 <clears throat> learn. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and it's cool when you, you know, when you do get it right and you get it dialed in and, and, Part of that, especially in today's um, society, part of communicating is sending a video to somebody, you know, because yeah. not everybody's going to be able to come and see you, you know. And so I think it's a, I think it's a really useful tool. Yeah. And honestly, I, you know, I don't see any excuse for not doing it at this point because 90% of the people who are saying we don't want to set up a phone and videotape ourselves in the gym are yeah. Snapchatting from the bathroom. So yeah. You know, it's, yeah. there's really it, no excuse. It takes, it takes a little bit of, of, uh, just being bulletproof. But one of, one of our best lifters here in the gym, this guy, Mark, and he videos every single workout. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. he's got that camera going and he just comes, he's like, what do you think of this one? What do you think of this one? And lo and behold, he's the guy that's getting better. He's, right. his form is improving. His numbers are going up. I mean, like that's not, that's not the norm. Like getting better is not the norm. Right. Yeah. And it's no different than climbing. You know, if, if anyone has ever videotaped themselves climbing, they don't look nearly as much like Chris Sharma as they thought they did. Yeah. You know, and it's the same with lifting, even though it seems like a much simpler movement, it, you're still not going to be doing it as perfectly as you think you are. You know, there's, there's this huge value in, in watching experts um, and so for a deadlift, um, you know, or for climbing either one to go and watch video of a powerlifting meet, or, you know, if you find a good resource, like juggernaut training is really good. West side barbell is great. Um, 
you you watch those guys deadlift and you're like, oh, okay, that's good, that's good. You watch enough of the right thing enough times and you can start to pull that into your ability and into your movement patterns. It's the same thing with climbing and this is, people laugh, but I think that you should watch climbing videos more, you know, elite level climbing videos. We yeah, did it this I agree. morning. We did yeah. it this morning. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you should be watching these guys. Like, yeah, this morning I was showing, I was showing Charlie a, a video of BJ climbing. Yeah. And you're like, you know, this is why this guy's better than we are. Yeah. And, but it's, it's the more of that stuff you watch, whether it's just BJ trying hard or, you know, somebody that's got super good technique, um, you can start to imprint that it's even if you can't get out to the crag or get to the gym to practice your deadlifting. And so, although it seems like entertainment, it's also educational. Yeah, I agree. Totally. In fact, I just watched a video of BJ last night. So <laughs> yeah, definitely. And actually I'm going to go off topic a little bit and just ask you another sort of selfish question. So I talked to BJ just the other day, we were driving down from wild iris and He's working on mutation, this new link up on the rodeo wave that's going to be 14D or 15A or something. He's not sure, you know, uh, impossible is how it looks to me. And he's realizing that he needs a little more power endurance to have a real shot at it. And we were talking about what would be the best way for him to gain power endurance, sort of in short order. Um... And something like a 4x4 isn't going to work very well for him simply for the skin aspect because he's not willing to give up the days on the project. Yeah. You know, He wants to get out there and do it, and it's going to destroy his skin. So something like a 4x4 isn't going to work. And I had just read you know, the, the part of your manual that you sent me, and, and my suggestion was, I'd be interested in hearing what Steve has to say about this or even what Emily has to say about this, but maybe something like campusing interspersed with deadlifting could be a power endurance sort of campus workout to save the skin interspersed with something like deadlifting might be a good tool for BJ to use. Um, and I'm just curious what you would think about something like that. Um, normally I would say yes, but he doesn't lift. And right. So he right. would have such a learning curve. Like it wouldn't be this year. Right. Um, but, but that sort of thing is really good. And, and this non-specific, uh, or what we'd call, um, metabolically specific work. Mm-hmm. Cause we, you know, we've talked about, um, motor specific would be climbing metabolically specific would be something that has the intensity and duration and an approximate load right. of the same thing. Um, it, those sorts of things like a, a rowing machine, the airdyne, those sorts of things that put you into that anaerobic zone would mm-hmm. be useful. Um, but it's, I think that that would still want to fall into a pre preseason um, right. situation. And, um, and it also has to be something that's within within his um, comfortable realm of training, and he's not a you know right. an air within the skill sets kind of guy. that he's good at. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he needs to eat less <laughs> <laughs> or drink less. <laughs> I'm actually going to talk to him for the podcast, believe it or not. So, 
we're going to get him talking. Well, I'm impressed he can climb it all at the one month old kid in the house. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the kid was at the crag yesterday with us. So nice. Yeah. Um, I think the, the, um, the second pitch, um, method is really good. Mm -hmm. And this is a Scott Milton thing. Um, you know, go up the, uh, go up the route as soon as you get to the top, uh, you know, if you're doing burns, jump down, um, untie, do another route. That's like a grade easier, yeah. um, right away and, mm -hmm. and to top that out. So he could do like, you know, one of the 13 C's or something on the, on the wave there. Um, and it's going to trash his skin, but you give a couple of climbing days to it. Um, and, uh, and that, that those numbers should top up. Yeah. So. Yeah. And he's making progress. So I think yeah. it, he'll continue to do that. But yeah, that's the yeah. thing. It's like, you, you always got to be careful. It's like, you don't mess with something that's working and, and he tends to, you know, tends to keep getting up these things, um, you know, and getting further and further. And so it's like, yeah, let's not change what you're doing. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you answered it that way because I hadn't really thought about the fact that deadlifting right now isn't going to help him as much as it could someone who's right. already dialed that skill in. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's an important important factor. Yeah. So anything else you guys want to say about the book or about deadlifting in general? Um, why should people buy the book? Um, I think it's a, it's a really great basic introduction um yep. to the lift for <clears throat> climbers there are there are fabulous resources out there for for learning these things but from the framework of a climber's mentality and how to fit it in with with a realistic climbing training program because yeah. we never want to sacrifice climbing performance for for some silly lift um and so that's sort of how we approached it and you can use it as a launching pad to other educational resources. But the main thing is use it as a basis for beginning the practice of deadlifting. Mm -hmm. And um, think about it like you're learning piano or learning how to ride a skateboard. You know, you take it nice and easy. Don't worry about the numbers. Um, those, you know, a higher deadlift number won't get you up uh, a harder route. You know, we're just building the base. So um, I think it's a, a great resource and, and really a, a super starting place for, for integrating a strength program with your climbing. Yeah, I, I just think it's another tool in the toolbox that we're all just trying to put into our strength training. Um, and if we learn it now, like it's awesome to be able to do these lifts when you're injured um, and yeah. stay strong. I mean, deadlifts yeah, great for grip strength. especially finger injuries. And, yep. Yeah. Um, and that, and that's actually a good question. We have an athlete right now um, that has a finger injury, and that's the one time we would prescribe using the straps, so you're kind of hanging right. off your wrist rather than flexing that finger. Yep. Um, but yeah, strength training throughout the, your whole life, it's your, the quality of life, and hopefully your climbing will be will be better. Cool. Yeah, and I think you guys did a great job of really directing it at climbers. You know, like you said, there are lots of resources out there on deadlifting, but it's still it's still hard to figure out how to put it into your climbing schedule and into your climbing life in general and where you should stop as a climber. And I think you guys did a really good, easy, easy to understand job of putting that into the book. And, uh, it reads short, you know, it reads pretty quickly. It's easy to get through. 
and pretty simple to understand. So I think you guys did a great job with it. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks for having us. All right. As usual, great stuff from Steve and uh, a great introduction to Charlie. Hopefully we'll be hearing more from him coming soon. Uh, Definitely go pick up the book. Uh, You guys need to be deadlifting. I think that's the big takeaway here. And uh, there's a safe way to do it. There's a better way to do it. And there's a they make it really easy to fit it into your climbing program. And, you know, they lay that all out for you. So pick up the Climb Strong deadlifting manual at climbstrong.com. Uh, you can also find it on Amazon. Uncle Google, as we said before, can find everything for you, including this book. So go check out Steve and Charlie's book. Uh, and if you happen to be in Lander, hit them up. Uh, it's, it's the best workout you're going to get in town. Uh, and you're going to learn a lot, no matter what. So, yeah, uh, check us out on the workshop tour, whether you're in Salt Lake, Golden, St. Louis, uh, Madison, Wisconsin, North Carolina, or Cincinnati. We're available for private sessions while we're in town. Definitely check us out. Also, be on the lookout for the ebooks that are becoming app training plans. Um, if you need a coach on your back all the time because you like to slack and fool yourself and and not actually do the workouts that you that you plan on doing, then you need this, uh, and we can help you. So check us out. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Pinterest. Uh, We live everywhere on the internet, except for Twitter. We don't tweet. We scream like eagles. This time, 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 this